0: Oh, you've got it on? Well, okay, we'll do it in a minute. Thanks. Wow, look at this room. I am so honored. Can you all hear me? Can you hear me? Turn me up, Lawrence. (laughs) I'm kind of known for having a fairly soft voice, and so please um, let me know if you can't hear me. Is that better? Better? Up, up, up. Keep going? Okay. All right. Well, so I'll give you, I'll start with a few words um, about um, what St. Philip's means to me and what so many of you in this room who are familiar faces to me, who I've known, mean to me. When I moved to Charleston in 1986, I was um, a committed Christian, and I knew that I needed a community. I needed a body of Christ to worship in and to be a part of, and so I was really praying about that, and I had been raised Presbyterian, had been active in the Presbyterian church, and, um, but I really didn't care so much about the denomination. I just wanted to find a church that was alive, and so when I moved to Charleston, I started visiting different churches, and I found myself at St. Philip's, and every time I visited a different church, St. Philip's was where my heart was calling me. And I didn't know anything about Anglicanism, Episcopalianism, kneeling, standing up. I felt like I was getting an aerobic workout in church, which was really good because I was doing aerobics at the time, and it sort of felt like I'm doing body, soul, and spirit stuff. Um, but, but what I discovered here um, was a community. And, um, and a few months in, I was going through confirmation classes to become Anglican and met my husband in the parish hall at coffee hour. Um, which was another, you know, very, very um, precious answered prayer in my life. And uh, we ended up getting married here. We christened our children here. And we have kind of straddled the fence over the years. We moved to Mount Pleasant and moved within walking distance to St. Andrews, where we are members now. But every time I come back to St. Phillips, I am grateful to god and to the friends and the sisters and brothers in christ that i have made here and uh, been welcomed as a newcomer to charleston those many years ago so um, so be blessed for being such a blessing in my life and community really is vital to our lives isn't it we've experienced in covid what lacking community is like Probably every one of us in this room has experienced not being able to see someone we love when we want to, not being able to be with a loved one, perhaps even when they died. Um, and so there is a, a tenderness, I think, and an appreciation and an energy in this room tonight um, for, the, for the gift of being able to be back together. Um, and so thank you for coming out. And I do pray that, um, that the words that I share about our words will bless you tonight. Um, you know, people have become more polarized in our society in the last year and a half as well. And, um, and, it, and for, for those of us who, you know, I think back to maybe the Second World War when we had such polarization or maybe the McCarthy era, different times in our country and in our world where it seemed like words were being slung around very carelessly and hurtfully, and people, even Christians in the body of Christ, have been divided over issues that should not be dividing us. And we should look different as the body of Christ. And so when I think about the early church in Acts, you know, it says that the that the church in Acts was very very diverse. I mean, we look all through the New Testament and and we are being exhorted about how do Jews and Gentiles get along mm-hmm. as new Christians? How do slave and free get along? Rich and poor, Prostitute and tax collector and wealthy Pharisee, how did they get along? And somehow they did it, and it changed the world. Scripture says in that early church in Acts that they broke bread together. All these diverse people, coming from different backgrounds and so forth, and broke bread together in one another's houses, and and learned um, to you know, to to love each other in the midst of that and care for one another so well that nobody had a need. That changes the world. The church today is still the most diverse group of people in the world. Christians in China are growing faster than any other country in the world. We're still the most diverse church, and yet how is it that we don't get along so well sometimes? Sometimes even in our nice church circles. And we know, and we can just look at the news on television, that politics isn't going to answer the kinds of ills that we have in this world. There are no government solutions for the ills we have in this world. You know, the Israelites wanted a king, and they got Saul, and that didn't go so well. You know, and so, so we have, as the body of Christ and my sisters here in this room, we have a responsibility to look different to the world. And if we do, then the world will be, we will be salt and light and the world would change thanks to us and thanks to God in us, really. So I've been spending a lot of time lately in Ephesians, um, Ephesians chapters four and five. And I would really encourage you uh, to go back and to sit in those chapters and maybe marry them with, um, with 1 Corinthians 13. Because Chapters 4 and 5 in in, um, Ephesians talks about unity in the body, which we haven't been seeing much in our country these days and really in the world. And it looks very much like uh, what what 1 Corinthians 13 looks like. And so if I was to take you on a speed dial through Ephesians 4, verse 1 says, live your life worthy of your calling. So there's the goal. How do we live lives that are worthy of our calling as believers? The next thing, verse two, be humble, patient, and bear with one another in love. Verse three, make every effort to keep the unity of the Holy Spirit through the bond of peace in each of our respective roles with our respective gifts, which get outlined in the next few verses. And what's the purpose of that? In order, in verse 12, to build up the body of Christ and come to a place of maturity. God wants to grow us up. And what is the fruit of that maturity? Verse 14, and think about it in the context of what we are living in, in today's world, that we will no longer be tossed about by every teaching and the craftiness of men in their deceitful schemes. Verse 15, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow up into Christ as one body that builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So that's the mandate for us, and the church, the Big C Church, the body of Christ, is the place where we should be practicing how to do this, a place where we can be individually healed and become corporately mature. Which requires that we have safety in our relationships. So, what gets us into trouble? I would offer to you that it's our words. We speak approximately 20,000 words today, a day. And I'm probably going to speak about (laughs) 20,000 tonight, so (laughs) bear with me. Um, And we have approximately 6,000 independent thoughts every day. And scripture says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So each of us has a whole lot of opportunity to sin. Studies estimate that about 80% of our thought life is negative. And so if we do the math, that means that about 4,000 of our thoughts are negative each day. And since we sp- that out of the heart, the mouth speaks the corresponding number of negative words that might be sinful words that we might speak in the course of a day is around 14,000. So we need to be on our knees. And with that, I'd like to offer us a quick prayer. Lord Jesus, I pray that tonight the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable to you, first and foremost, for you are my strength and my redeemer. Would you use these words by the power of your Holy Spirit to encourage and equip my sisters in Christ to better live lives that are worthy of the calling they have received. For your purposes and glory, I ask these things in the powerful name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, for I can't believe how old I'm getting, but um, for the past 40 years, I've been engaged in healing conversations with people um, as a therapist. They've um, spanned lots of different ages, from preschoolers to... Um, people who are well into their age of maturity, and in different places in their faith walks, from no faith to committed Christians. And in every single instance, it's holy ground. And the one thing that I've learned in these conversations is that words really, really matter. They are exceptionally powerful to heal or to, to destroy. And when we think about the power of words, we know from the very beginning of Scripture in Genesis that God spoke creation into being. He said, when the, when the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Gospel of John opens up and says, In the beginning was the what? Word. 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 And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word gave life to everything that was created, and nothing was created except through him. But it doesn't take long for words to go kind of sour. By Genesis 3, two chapters, the moment Adam and Eve believe the words of Satan, they give life to his words, words that accuse, deceive, and destroy. And so tonight, we're going to look at the power of words to heal or to destroy in three areas, words that are spoken over us or to us, words that we say to ourselves and say to others, and then God's words. So with that, if Florence is available, I'd like to um, play this quick video. I love when when science and faith marry, and I cannot um, speak to the... the um, I'm trying to think of the right word. <laughs> um, I'm, I, I don't know that this material is replicable. I don't know that it's been replicated by other scientists. This is some work of a Japanese scientist in the 90s on the power of words on water, on the molecular structure of water. And so as, as I share with you about words that are spoken over us or to us, Tonight, the words that we speak to ourselves, I would invite you to, to use these images certainly as a metaphor at the least, if not truly what happens to us under the power of words. words that are spoken over um, distilled water and other types of water taken from other places in different languages. They would flash freeze the water and take photos. power of words. Um, so, so just as God spoke over the creation, we are born into this world looking and listening for someone who will be there for us. Even in the womb, we're impacted by words. There's a whole body of research that shows what happens to babies in utero. They can hear at 16 weeks of gestation. And they can recognize their mother's voice at 25 weeks. And yet scripture says all through the Bible that with the tongue we bless and curse. It's a two-edged sword. And all of our lives, our words are going to fall into one of those categories. So I would like to invite you to take a minute and just think back to the words that were spoken over you as a child. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? And just a show of hands, whatever that word is that popped in your mind, how many of those words or phrases were negative? And how many of you are being honest? (laughs) Oh, okay, I'm sorry, turn me up. Um, so, the question is, of the words that were spoken over you or to you as a child, how many of those words, you know, was, were the words, the first ones that come to your mind, were they positive or were they negative? Positive. So, you know, it's a mix. But there were hands that were raised that said those were negative words that came to mind. And words don't even have to be, like, abusive to have an impact on us as children, particularly. So, um, two quick examples from my own life. Just last week I was having a conversation with someone and it was sort of an introductory conversation. We were telling a little bit about our families and how we grew up and I, um, I said something to the effect that I was the youngest of three children and um, my, my sister was 12 years older, my brother's eight years older, and there was this eight year span before I came along, and so the person said, "Well, you must have been an oops baby," and um, you know, like oops, you know, we've done this, and you know, we're done. And eight years later, I show up, and and you know, it was interesting because what came to my mind in that moment was that my mother always used to call me her love child, and and so you know, I thought about that as I, I grew older. But she told me that a lot that we really waited and tried a long time to have you. And so I wondered, you know, on the one hand, it it made me rest. I had, even when that person said, maybe you were a mistake, which is really what they were saying, which was kind of a careless statement, honestly, that, that really I just had this restful assurance that I was a wanted child. And that allowed those words to slough off. I also as I became a teenager thought they must have had a lot of fun for those extra years trying to have me and maybe that's what she was referring to Uh, sorry I didn't do that Um, but even words that aren't necessarily meant to be hurtful can land in places in us particularly when we are young and so um, one example that um, that another statement from my mother Um, was in the second grade, I started wearing glasses. And by the fifth grade, I wore Coke bottle glasses. Um, And I had cat-eye glasses with rhinestones. I had tortoise shell. I had every kind of glasses trying to make myself look better. Um, But my mother would always tell me when it was time for a family photo, Barbara, take off your glasses. You're so pretty without your glasses. So I hear the, ugh, you know. So my mother is telling me I'm pretty, right? Wrong. You know, as a child, my interpretation of that was you're so ugly with your glasses. And so I internalize that. Now, I do not recall having my feelings hurt. I don't recall, you know, being offended or even drawing any real conscious conclusions about it. But how did that play out in my life? Well, by sixth grade, I was begging my parents to get contact lenses. That's one thing. But by college, when I had the freedom to stay up and to stay out late, I had corneal abrasions 13 times because I would not take out my contact lenses. Did I internalize those words in some way that caused me harm? Did my mother, was she abusive in saying those things to me? Absolutely not. But they impacted me. And so as children, particularly for those in the room who might have had a negative statement come up when I asked that question a minute ago, we draw conclusions that are based on our immature cognitive development that end up dictating our beliefs about ourselves and decisions that we make in very, very powerful ways. So, when we think about those words that maybe we say to our own children or were said to us, sometimes we actually are saying things that were said to us. We repeat them. Those words have a lot of power. And, and part of growing up into maturity in Christ is allowing the Holy Spirit to reveal those places to us so that we can um, like reinstall the software program. That software program that I'm ugly in my glasses was running in the background and influencing my decisions for many years. Even tonight, I will confess, I printed out my notes and looked at them and I thought, oh my gosh, I'm not going to be able to see them with my one contact lens in my eye so that I can see distance and far. You know." And, and I brought my glasses up just in case, but I really didn't want to wear them. Right? It's, there's still a little vestige of that in there that I don't want to be wearing those glasses. So, um, but it's helpful, it's helpful to be aware of these things and the Holy Spirit will reveal them to us. Over the years, when I've worked with people who have been traumatized, um, I've had more than one person tell me, many people have said to me that if they experienced all forms of abuse, that they would much rather be physically abused than verbally abused. And so that old saying that we all grew up with, that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, is really a lie from the pit of hell. So those words that were spoken over us and to us, and those don't necessarily have to be just in childhood. The ones that are in childhood tend to get imprinted on our souls. But the words that we ingest, the words that we, that we say to others and that others say to us, still have that kind of power. So if we look at why 80% of what we think about tends to be negative, we actually can influence that because kind of garbage in, garbage out. If I'm going to eat garbage, I'm, it's going to be garbage in, garbage out. I'm, it's going to impact me physically. But garbage in impacts us mentally. Um, I know you know, in years ago I, you know, I, wa- I never watched the movie The Exorcist because I didn't want to have those images imprinted in my mind but I did watch some other movies, and, and they still will be there, and that, and, and so it's, it's powerful. It takes probably seven positives to counteract one negative. So when you look at what's on TV, on the news, the amount, you know, why does news have to be negative? I've never understood that. I want to have a positive news channel. Um, social media is particularly damaging. The studies that are coming out now show that um, that people who ingest a lot of social media, particularly teens, um, in, you know, where it's so based on lying about how you, you're going to project this image of yourself and people falling into a comparison trap. We're seeing tremendous increases in self-harm and cutting behaviors with teen girls, particularly who are in social media. So it makes sense. Matthew? Matthew? 12 says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. These things that, that we are um, engaging in internal conversations with ourselves have power over our day. So here's a question. What if the words we spoke to a person or spoke about a person just showed up on them? Just showed up on them like tattoos. Is that a good litmus test for us to, to um, gauge the words that we speak? What if they showed up on ourselves, the words that we say to ourselves? When we get down on ourselves, those words are tattooed on our identities. Proverbs 12 says, The words of the careless pierce like swords. What we hear ourselves saying, and I would ask, I would invite you to lay your words before the Lord when you go home tonight and ask him to help you to become more aware of them. What is that internal dialogue saying? And lay them before him. Because what we hear ourselves saying to ourselves can be a great tool for diagnosing what God wants to work on within us, diagnosing our spiritual and emotional health. We know that we have an enemy, and Satan will always manipulate words to use them against us. He is called the father of lies for a reason. If he can cripple us by words, particularly in our childhood, and then all he has to do is leave us to our own devices because we'll just continue to operate in, that, in those belief patterns, those ungodly belief patterns, and we will pass them down. We will pass them down to our children. So I I believe, really, that this is one of the reasons that God says how much he hates lying. If you look at Proverbs 6, which says in very strong language, there are six things that God detests. Three of them are related to the tongue. A lying tongue, a false witness, and one who stirs up discord among his brothers. So our words get us in trouble. And there are really only three voices that we listen to. We listen to the voice of the enemy, probably all too often. And we can identify that voice because it is always going to be manipulative. It is always going to have a twist to the truth, one drop of heresy to something that otherwise might sound good. um, Or it will be condemning. And because Satan's besetting sin was pride and he wanted to be like God, it will always appeal to our sense of pride and self-justification. So we need to learn to identify which voice we're listening to um, in the course of our day. We also listen to our own voice, and that voice of the flesh often seeks to justify our own way. Um, I deserve this. you know. So more often than not, I would I, I have found that when I'm listening to my voice of the flesh, it's usually defaulting onto the enemy camp. And then, um, so James talks a lot about the tongue, um, saying the tongue is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. This is a pretty strong statement that when our tongues are used irresponsibly, our words are actually being used for evil and not good. So the next time that we find ourselves tempted to gossip, to speak hastily, to use flattery, or say something that might hurt someone who's made in the image of God, consider that you might be lending your tongue to the enemy in that moment. The third voice obviously, is the voice of God. It's a voice of truth. Jesus is described as the way, the truth, and the life. And so even when God confronts us in our sin, the Holy Spirit never condemns, only convicts. And that's because we're his. We can look at all the examples of of people Jesus encountered when he confronted them in their sin, from the woman at the well who went away saying, here's a man who told me everything I ever did, And she goes and and spreads the gospel to her entire town. There's something about speaking the truth in love that we have to learn from Jesus. So our, our job is really to align our thoughts and our words with the voice of love, which is God, through time spent with him and in his word. And it's why we're called to be encouragers and to speak words that edify and build one another up. Love bids us to grow up into maturity in Christ. So when we go back to that love chapter, which is a beautiful parallel to Ephesians 4 and 5, we have that very familiar verse, which I think you may have a, maybe a slightly different lens to, to, to consider it through based on what we're talking about tonight, that when I was a child, I talked like a child. I reasoned like a child, and when I became a man, I put away childish things. So how do we become mature? Jesus says, I will change your name, all through scripture we have illustrations from the Old and the New Testament that when people have a real encounter with God, that he takes some place, some place of a character flaw, some place of a besetting sin, Jacob was a liar, he becomes Israel. Saul becomes Paul. And some of you who are more in my age group would probably remember that, that song back from maybe the 70s, an early Christian worship song called I Will Change Your Name. I will change your name. You will no longer be called wounded, outcast, lonely, or afraid. And then he changes our name to the beloved. So as I get older, I really do believe that growing into maturity in Christ is really about being firmly and increasingly rooted and grounded in love. There's this divine exchange when we are rooted and grounded in love, just like my mom calling me her love child, that says that the distorted beliefs I might have come to in the immaturity of my childhood about myself or maybe lies that I have believed that other people have spoken to or about me that I might even believe into the depth of my being, gets exchanged with who God says I am. And he doesn't say I'm a perfect person. You know, Satan is always going to tell us we're not enough. And you know what? He is right. We're not enough. We're not enough. But the beauty is that God fills in the gap. However I may reach for him, God is going to fill in that gap and he's going to find me. Not because I deserve it, not because I've earned it, but because I'm his and because he loves me in the mess that I may be at any given moment. And so his word is the word we need to believe. His word is more powerful than any word that has ever been spoken to us, over us, or that we've spoken to ourselves. It overrides every other voice. Now we have this sort of unfortunate reality that the tongue cannot be tamed and despite our best efforts that we will say words we regret and will still be wounded by words that are spoken to or over us and that's where we have the power of forgiveness we can't unring the bell we can't take those words back and god has provided a way that speaking the truth in love begins with an honest conversation with ourselves and him Psalm 32 is a beautiful example of how our words um, can be used in this way. It says, Blessed is the one whose sin is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man in whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit is no deceit. He just wants us to be honest with him. Because when we keep silent, our bones will waste away through our groaning all day long and our strength will be sapped as by the heat of summer. I've been reading a lot of an author by the name of Scott Sauls in this last year, and I would recommend any of his books. But he says, and and he says it so much better than I could, I'd like to just quote him here on forgiveness. He says, Being forgiven in Christ is the central anchor and basis for Christian community. Because we all are frail, broken, and weak sinners— whose only hope in life and death is that we belong to a faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. In such a community, things like performing well and keeping up appearances have zero impact on our acceptance in that community. The only basis for membership is that we are messed up, completely loved, forgiven, and covered in Christ, and can become free to relate to one another on that same basis. So finally, when we move through chapter 4 in Ephesians, we come to verse 25 when we are called to live as children of the light. We are called to put off the old self, which is corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of our minds and put on the new self, created to be like God in righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of us must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In our anger, do not sin. Do not let unwholesome talk come out of our mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So we all have probably experienced situations where Um, People have taken this Ephesians verse and sort of used it to confront in a way that relationships are harmed. Again, Scott Saul's, In your anger do not sin. As we channel our anger and correct and rebuke one another, not with a sword to destroy, but with a scalpel to heal, we become channels of love toward one another. If we come at one another with all truth and no grace, we become insufferable religious bullies, self-appointed moral police who constantly tear each other down and rarely build each other up. But on the other hand, if we give all grace and no truth, we become codependent enablers, preferring the the destruction of a soul over an experience of social awkwardness. So encouraging words that build up and corrective words that steer us away from sin and towards physical, emotional and spiritual health are two essential sides of the same coin much easier said than done there are ladies in this room who have my permission to speak to me in those ways and and they have done that and some of them for many many years and they have that permission in my life because I can trust that they love me, that they love me the same whether I'm a total wreck or in a great place. They can celebrate my, my accomplishments without it seeming prideful. They can correct me when I'm off base, and, um, and I'm very, very grateful for them. And I, I hope that everyone in this room has someone like that. And, and if you don't, I would, I would ask that you pray and say, God, would you help bring people into my life who have that kind of, of um, relational capital that I can trust the love for that corrective word. I think that's what makes a really effective Christian community. So in closing, this little enormous problem of a tongue on the one hand, we have James who says the tongue is a fire set on fire by the um, set on fire by the fires of hell. Versus what happened in Acts at Pentecost, the tongues of fire were on every single purpose. I wonder how the, you know why would God make that juxtaposition? In the 15 places in the New Testament where people are filled with the Holy Spirit always the first manifestation is through the tongue. Now, we might think that speaking in tongues and when everybody was speaking in a language that they could hear, and I I definitely believe that to be true, but I also believe that they were probably saying things that the tongue is to be used for, which is to glorify God. I also believe that if the first manifestation of being filled in the Holy Spirit is that our tongues are impacted then perhaps it's a suggestion that we can't tame the tongue in our own power we need the Holy Spirit to, um, to we, need, we need to put our tongues and our words under the lordship of the Holy Spirit and I also believe that one of the, um, the, the gifts of the spirit is what? self-control self-control so Take that and chew on it tonight. With that, I'd like us to pray, please. Lord, your word says a gentle answer turns away wrath. And I just lay these words that I have um, shared with these precious women before you right now. And I ask that anything that... um, Is not of you, would just wash away into a sea of forgetfulness. And anything that um, has unction on it for anyone in this room, that you would highlight it in their hearts, and that those would be the thoughts and the words that would be um, rumbling around in their thoughts tonight and in the coming days. That in the sweetness and love of your desire to grow us into maturity that you would convict our hearts in places that you want to redeem in our lives, wherever that may be, because you are the healer, and your desire is to grow us into unity with one another as your body on this earth so that we can look different to the world. In Jesus' name, amen. So all weekend long, um, as I've been sitting with this material, um, the Lord has put an old song on my heart. and, um, And I'd like to invite Joanna and Georgia to come up. And as a way of closing us out tonight, I'd like to invite you to stand and sing together with them, We are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord.